Built Unstoppable is a weekly podcast that features a new guest each week who shares their experiences, learnings, and helpful tips for achieving your greatest potential. Welcome to episode number six of the Built Unstoppable podcast. I'm your host, Justin Levine. Today, I'm joined by Clay Bear. Clay worked initially at Accenture, which is the world's largest consultant firm, before escaping corporate America to attend the most selective MBA program in the country. He was one of only nine people to learn directly from marketing expert Seth Godin for six months. Following that, he's had the opportunity to work with clients ranging from Zappos and you know, training entrepreneurs, corporate executives, and senior level leaders at the Pentagon, among others. He's been profiled in the books such as Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, Entrepreneurial You by Dory Clark, and Deep Work by Cal Newport. He's helped projects and startups raise over $100 million on crowdfunding platforms such as Kickstarter. And Forbes named him one of the next generations of business and media influencers and recently he was named as one of entrepreneur magazine's 50 most daring entrepreneurs right alongside people like jeff bezos and elon musk (sighs) that was a a breathful so (laughs) thank you and thanks for coming on clay i know how busy you are it's so good to talk to you justin it's been far too long and i'm thrilled that we were able to reconnect this week absolutely so through everything I was just talking about, you've had the opportunity to work with brands that have ranged from early series startups, you know, part of that $100 million that you've helped raise, all the way up to those largest brands in the world. And, and I know many of the other ones. Throughout those, what has been some of the common threads that you've seen if you were to pu- pull those out mm-hmm. and talk about those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no matter how big the company is, every company I've ever worked with, their customers are human beings and human beings love stories. Stories are what we buy. Every, almost every brand startup I've worked with, whether it's the smallest entrepreneur creating a new kind of wallet that's selling on Kickstarter or the last speaking gig I did in the beginning of COVID was at Coca-Cola in Atlanta, working at Coca-Cola's Innovation Center. And so from the smallest brands to the largest, they need to focus more on stories and less on the product, more on who the person's going to become when they use their product. Because what we buy nowadays more than anything are stories. If you look at, you're familiar with the brand Yeti Coolers. I'm sure most of the most of your listeners are as well. Yeti Coolers, and I love the brand. I love, I love the product, but I love the brand. They built a billion-dollar brand billion-dollar company selling something nobody actually needed. Because, Justin, if you and I went camping, say, 10 years ago, it's not like we would use the the Coleman cooler and the beer would get warm and the sandwiches would spoil and ruin our camping trip. The Coleman cooler worked fine, but what it wasn't was a cooler we could brag to our friends about, right? It was baby blue and the, the lid was white plastic with a hinged lid. And so Yeti came along, and, and sure, the Yeti cooler is let's say it's three times better quality than the Coleman, it should cost $100 because you can get the Coleman for 33 But it costs $300 and they sell them all the time because the other $200 are 
is the story. And so no matter the size of the company, they sell the story of my cooler is tougher than yours. My cooler is grizzly proof, right? So what I always try to do with brands and companies is what's the story that you're selling? Not the story of the founder, not the story of, of the company per se, but the story of how will people change or what can they brag about or what I call a portable story? What will they tell their friends, right? If I get a Yeti and you don't, and I want to appear to be higher status than you, I'm going to be, say, hey, Justin, is your cooler grizzly proof, right? Or, you know, nice baby blue Coleman as opposed to my Yeti, right? Um, so I always try to help companies figure out the story because the story is worth more than the, the better quality product. Absolutely. And I, and I think we see that with a lot of brands, right? Um, you have brands like Lululemon. There's a lot of stretch pants, right? Or mm -hmm. a lot of exercise pants out there and, and, you know, but they sell pants and, and certainly exercise gear for $90 plus, mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, but people flock to their stores and they have lines outside their doors when, you know, they open a new store. So I think that that's really a key thread and, and certainly uh, Yeti, I've had to buy them for family before and they are expensive, mm -hmm. but you know, I was just back home on vacation and my father-in-law has his 20-year-old or 30-year-old Coleman cooler. Mm -hmm. And we took that everywhere we went to the beach and uh, on the water and things like that because he believes in that. You know, he filled it up with a bag of ice and off we went. So yep. um, there is a lot between that. And you can still go to any sporting goods store and buy something like a Coleman cooler or a, a off-brand. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and it's and, and the only feature that the Coleman leaves out is the story. And some people don't care about the story or their story is you're crazy for paying $300 for a Yeti, right? <laughs> and so the, it's, a, it's a different story. And the, the reality is, you know, Coleman, I, I believe to this day, is still a bigger company than Yeti by far, right? Um, there's lots of car companies that do more revenue than Tesla. But when someone buys a Tesla, right, when a VC buys the Tesla, they don't buy the Tesla because the Mercedes didn't get them to the meeting on time and the Lexus before that. They buy it so that they can have a conversation about Elon and electricity and saving the planet and ludicrous mode and everything else. You're buying the ability to have that conversation when you're paying for a Tesla. You're not, it's not just, you know, the, the electric car piece of it. Because if it was truly just the electric car piece of it, you could, you could do a Toyota Prius, which is obviously a totally different story. So, yeah, I mean, what when I start with companies, it's not Facebook ads, it's not Instagram, it's not it's not even content strategy. All that has to feed from what's the story you're telling to whom and who do they like? What do they want to feel? What are the stories they're telling themselves primarily about themselves? What's their identity? And that's that's where I start. Sure. And one of the main things that you're known for as people that know you is uh, this thing that you've developed called the perfect intro. And I think it ties to what you were just talking about. So can you dive into that a bit yeah, more? Absolutely. Yeah, it does. It does tie in perfectly. The perfect intro came about because I completely embarrassed myself in front of one of my heroes. Uh, it was 2013. I was living in New York City at the time. Um, and a friend of mine told me about this conference in San Diego. And I love San Diego. I live here now. So it didn't, didn't have to twist my arm too hard to get to San Diego. So I didn't re even really look. They just said, you're going to love the 
the spe- amazing speakers, amazing attendees. So I wasn't speaking. I, ju- I just went. And after the first speaker, who was amazing, they said, why don't you turn around and meet the person behind you, right? Pretty standard conference activity. So I turned around. He said, so what's your name? What do you do? That question. So what do you do? And for whatever reason that day, maybe I hadn't had my coffee or whatever, I rambled on and on. I said, oh, my name's Clay. I grew up in Wisconsin. I work for Accenture. Just on and on, covered every city I'd ever lived in, my favorite flavors of ice cream. It was terrible. It was boring and rambling. And so to stop myself, I said, so what's your name? What do you do? And he was just as cool as Fonzie. He's like, well, my name's Matt, and I run a little software company. And I'm still rambling. I'm like, that's cool. I'm into software. I'm into startups. What's it called? Maybe I've heard of it. And again, just as cool as Fonzie's like, it's called Automatic. And in that moment, I knew that I was sitting there talking to one of my internet heroes, Matt Mullenweg, the founder of Automatic, which is the parent company of WordPress, the open source software that powers mm, 28% of the internet. And so here I am talking to someone who I respected and and knew, but I didn't recognize in that moment. Again, maybe I hadn't had my coffee, um, but I knew who Matt Mullenweg was. And so my jaw dropped, and in, the, in that exact moment, the event photographer, uh, just one of those lucky things, snapped this perfect picture of me meeting Matt Mullenweg. So I walked away from that interaction thinking, like, how do I never do that again? How did I blow my introduction so completely? And why do we never get taught how to introduce ourselves? And then I sort of peeled the layers of the onion and looked at you know startups and how they explain what they do. And it's so important, right, to, to pitch VCs and to do that. And the only way we get taught is this stupid thing called the elevator pitch, right? And you've, you've been taught the elevator pitch. I've been taught the elevator pitch, even though there's no one way to teach it. And the elevator pitch is a joke. It's, it doesn't really happen. I promise you, you're never going to get on an elevator with Steve Jobs and have to pitch your business by the time you get to the 68th floor or whatever the, the origin story of the elevator, elevator pitch is a joke. And, you know, there are certain things that are bought and sold in elevators and you're not in that business. So uh, I try to help people discard this concept of the elevator pitch and instead create what I what I now call the perfect intro, um, which is a way to more confidently and clearly explain what you do. But in a way, instead of trying to be complete and accurate, you try to be confident and interesting and leave them more. And of course, what that does is opens up the ability for you to tell, tell a story. Because like I said, all brands are about stories. Perfect. And I can understand and see why that exercise would be important for an individual and a company, right? Mm -hmm. Because I do agree with you. Uh, We're asked what our elevator pitch is or within companies, you know, I've worked for companies and, and, you know, certainly walk uh, worker with software, you know, product managers and, and marketers who, want you to describe the product in X way, you know, here's the, the, you know, two sentences about the product that we Mm -hmm. want to talk about in the elevator. That never happens. No one would ever ask you about the product in that way or, you know, what have you, but they feel that they have to have that two second, you know, whatever, you know, five floor, like you said, uh, question answered when I think, you know, even, you know, something that you and I have talked about in the past, or I think one way that you can boil it down in one way is how would you describe yourself in a tweet? 
mm-hmm. or how can a brand describe themselves? And and I reiterated that, you know, within companies that I've worked in of, you know, when we'd go to talk about a product launch or a crisis or something like that, and they would want this diatribe on it and say, no, 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 back up. And this was when Twitter had 140 characters. Like we only have 130 some odd because we have to put in the link and we Mm -hmm. have to do all this other stuff. So you have to get that crisis, you know, that statement into the short sentence. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be kind of extrapolated into what is your perfect intro, whether that's individual or as a company. Yeah, we, everyone listening to this right now, you think you're just listening to this podcast. Maybe you're driving, maybe you're walking around your neighborhood and listening to it in your headphones, but you're introducing yourself right now while you're listening to me and Justin because somebody is opening an email that you sent last week. Somebody's on your LinkedIn profile. Somebody's uh, on the homepage of your website. You're introducing yourself a hundred times today, physically and digitally and mostly digitally. And so where are all those touch points and what's the impression that you're making? That's your personal brand is, um, you know, what people are reading when they're trying to figure, find out more about you. They're on the about page of your website, you know, so there's lots of ways to do this. And the way that I teach people is to make it short and sweet and interesting and confident, not trying to be so complete. Cause like those product managers that you've worked for before, where they're trying to like eke out every feature of the product and then yet still make it sound interesting, which is literally impossible and also just the wrong strategy in the first place. If you look at great copywriting on websites, we'll say Slack because you and I both use Slack, um, you know, the copywriting on that non-Slack's website, they employ some of the best copywriters in tech and they explain what they do, but they do not drain and talk about it in a technical way. You know, we successfully orchestrate cross inner messaging technology, but no, they say, you know, we help teams stay on the same page. They say it in short human language. And and that's, we all struggle with that. And that's what the perfect interest is all about is whatever level of context. Now, I, the way I teach it is if you're on an airplane or you're in a, in a cocktail conversation and someone says, so what do you do? You actually want to be a little bit less complete and leave room for them to say, oh, that's interesting. What does that mean? Like you mentioned the the crowdfunding stuff in the intro. I used to do a lot with Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So my perfect intro back then was I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. And that is interesting. And I I knew it well enough to say it confidently, but you don't know what kind of entrepreneur. People would ask me what kind of entrepreneurs, what kind of dreams, are you an angel investor? Are you a VC? And then here's the real magic. You don't then say, you know, they, they do this follow on question. And you don't then drain the bullet points that you left out of the first one because that would just be delaying a bad intro for five seconds. What you do is you tell the story of someone that you helped. So uh, I might tell the story of Lee Miller who invented this cat product and loved his cat and wanted to play with his cat when he wasn't home, but he didn't know how to do a landing page. So we worked together and we collected all these emails, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, you make your customer the hero. I say, you know, when Lee launched on Kickstarter, he was fully funded in 36 minutes, 200% funded on the first day, and raised $287,000. And then now you can buy Best Buy. Now you can buy Kitty-O and his invention in Best Buy and Pet Value. So that's what I do. That's the way to end your perfect intro is tell the story of the person you help or the person your software helps or your product or service. Basically take them on a story because, you know, as our mutual friend Christopher Penn says, no kid ever said, mommy, please read me a press release. <laughs> you know, we... 
we want to be told stories. Stories are what we pay for. Netflix is stories. Game of Thrones is stories. And yet when someone says, so what do you do? They don't even know it, but they're begging for you to tell them a story, you know, take them on a story. And we don't take them on a story. We answer with essentially press release type bullet points explaining what we do. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that quote, because I think he said that to me eight to 10 years ago sure. at, at a conference or something like that. And I've always remembered it. I love the quote and he laughs when I bring it up uh, still to this day. And I'm like, no, you hit it right on the head. Mm-hmm. Like there's no other way you can describe that to a brand. Yep. Um is to boil that all down. And for those that are listening, you know, while it wasn't around a perfect intro, you know, even before starting this podcast, Clay was looking at something for me and, you know, giving me advice on something. And it was about boiling it down to specifics and getting it even clearer. So it's a true specialty of his um, I think it's something excellent that he does. And I, I certainly turn to him for help, even though we've you know, been friends for 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do for yourself. It's kind of like, you know, the best tattoo artist in the world doesn't give themselves a back tattoo and the best surgeon in the world doesn't take out their own appendix. You can't do it for yourself. You have to enlist the help of other people. So yeah, find a person and, and you know, we're all pretty good at whittling away buzzwords for other people, but it's really hard to do for yourself. So anyone who's trying to do this, you know, find somebody, explain what you do and pretend you're, you know, having a beer, having a glass of wine and just explaining it to a friend from high school, right? You wouldn't say we successfully implement top tier CRM methodologies if if a friend from high school said, hey, you know, what have you been up to? Just talk like a human and, and then polish it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So you hit on this a little bit uh, throughout the conversation so far, but you are a professional speaker. You run in-person workshops and kind of one-on-one discussions with people. So as we have this conversation right now in August of 2020, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we don't know when that's going to end, what the new normal will look like as America and as the world kind of restarts itself and a key part of being built unstoppable is focused on resiliency so how have you done that and what do you see for your future and and what advice can you give for others no matter what their industry is Mm -hmm. Well, first and foremost, read Justin's book when it comes out because he's going to give you the blueprint and the playbook on how to how to be built unstoppable. So that'll be a few months from now. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this pandemic and what we're going through has some people it, it's exposed their lack of really resiliency. It's been hard. It's been hard for everybody. I don't think anyone's uh, I don't think 2020 is anyone's best year, um, but it's also shown a lot of people how tough they are and how resilient they are because they were forced to figure out different solutions and things like that. Um, yeah, I do a lot of a lot of public speaking and I'm on the road a lot. My last speaking gig as we were heading into this, I remember I was at Coca-Cola in Atlanta at their innovation center teaching one of the top brands in the world, you know, talking about branding and innovation and 
we were doing the elbow bump handshakes before we really knew what was going on with COVID. And then, you know, that was early March and that was, that was kind of the last, uh, the last in-person gig before everything shut down and yeah, everything evaporated, you know, overnight, there were no more speeches, there were no more in-person workshops. Um, and so we've had to, we've had to pivot and do a lot more online, but what's interesting is kind of like how we started, you know, I was saying that regardless of the size of the company, your customers are still humans and humans believe in stories. And so I, I kind of like to break it down to the fundamentals. And, you know, I love being on stage. I love talking to audiences of, of different sizes, but in reality, it's it's teaching other humans and talking to them. So I pivoted to, to a few different things. One of them is, um, and, and then trying to think of ways that digital can be better, right? We're all working from home, you know, Zoom and, and, you know, things like Anchor and things like that to, to allow us to connect and talk like this and work from home. Um, I've tried to look at it and say, okay, if we can't all be in the same room, if we can't be uh, breathing the same air in, in a physical space, what can we do that's better? So one of the things I do is these these two-day workshops. And if we do it in person, right, if people fly to San Diego or if I fly to a city, we have to go back to back because it's a live event. So what I've done is I've taken these two-day workshops and I break them up and I do one on Monday and then I do one on Friday or I do one on Friday and then day two can be two Fridays later, two weeks with you know homework and things like that. So I think it's about challenging yourself and saying, what if this was an opportunity instead of a problem, right? What, what can be done a little bit differently? Because there's lots of these workshops that were in person. I said, man, it would be nice if we had a week in between day one and day two. But when you're all flying in and you stay at the Hilton, you got to do day two the next day. And so now that it's via Zoom, I schedule them with, you know, a week or two in between and it's, it's better for everybody. And then instead of everyone taking notes in their own Moleskin, I have a no Moleskin rule for these workshops. And I say, we all have to take notes in a Google Doc because there's seven of us and we're all in seven different cities and we can't see each other's Moleskin from seven different cities. But if we watch each other type in Google Docs, simple free tool, you essentially leave with a transcript of the thing. So I think it's about part of its mindset instead of saying, woe is me and I don't get to speak anymore and I'm just going to kick dirt. I say, how can I, you know, deliver value to my clients um, in, in, in a digital way. And then going one step further, how can digital be better than in person? Absolutely. And I, I think that what we've started to see besides individuals or, or companies, what, you know, if they were an events-based company or what have you, uh, look for new ways to innovate is you're actually seeing the, on the vendor side, how they can innovate. So say if that is an, an event vendor, how can they innovate to serve their clients mm-hmm. more to then allow a client to use their product in a different way, right? Yep. So uh, Zoom went from something like three or 10 million uh, monthly Zoom meetings, I think the number was, to 300 million. Mm-hmm. So they scaled overnight. Obviously, there was a lot of systems that had to be put in place and, you know, some craziness on the back end. But some questions that could be asked is, okay, what can we now put into place? What can we offer our customers? What tiers? Things of that nature, especially because now you're seeing things all the way up 
at levels of government and and things of that nature that are being used. You know, Zoom meetings aren't just being used for one-on-one or one-on-many company calls. They're being used by President Obama to run a commencement speech, for example. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that the vendors also have this unique opportunity to help all of us on the business side uh, provide for our customers and our prospects in a new way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. My girlfriend, Angie, runs big events for female entrepreneurs and she had an event that was scheduled literally, I think it might have been for this date, Saturday, August 8th, uh, 2020 in Chicago. And she was expecting 3,000 women, you know, at sort of a, a smaller size of like a Tony Robbins style event at a huge stadium in Chicago. And obviously with COVID, that's not going on. But um, shout out to uh, Carrie at E-Factor, the events production company that Angie works with. Uh, Carrie was, you know, jumped into action, was doing everything uh, she could to, to help Angie out make this work, you know, try to back when we, we didn't know the exact dates and things like that. But, but uh, yeah, I've seen what Carrie's done with her team as far as, instantly not not just uh, slight pivoting but literally inventing and, and polishing and, and creating these digital experiences that bring everyone in and here's the thing like nobody one like everything there is no right answer right everyone nuance is a superpower and we're all looking for the right answer and there is no right answer there's just shades and, and spectrums and things that work better than others so don't look for the one right answer just try to you know get get better and, and figure out what works for you in this moment, in this context. But yeah, Carrie jumped into action and she's been producing really cool digital events, you know, for her clients, whether they come to her studio in Southern California or it's all done via zoom or whatever. And you're seeing, like you said, these technology vendors as well. And you see, I think, mm-hmm, which is an interesting name, new tool from Phil Libin, the founder of uh, Evernote, you know, allowing people to present sort of like, I, I th- he had a good positioning Way to, speaking of perfect intro, he had a great way to explain it. He said, it's instant daily show for everybody. So the way that Jon Stewart, you know, would talk to the camera and then have the the news clip, you know, floating TV, it's basically that, you know, via, via Zoom. And so that's a new tool rolling out. Yeah, it's been cool to see the innovation in this space and technology. Absolutely. And I will kick you virtually for slipstreaming uh a shout out to my book, which <laughs> um, you're helping me work on and isn't doesn't have a word of it typed yet, but Clay is helping um, to get that tightened up and honed. And he's just committed me via podcast to uh, getting it done now. So yep. um, something he's really good at too. Um, if you had to provide someone and I'm sure that this will kind of filter into some of what you do, but if you had to provide someone with one practical tip that they could use immediately upon ending this podcast, what would that be? Yeah, it's changed a little bit over time, but what I would do is I wouldn't tell that person, forget money, forget profit, revenue, clients, customers, because most of the decisions we make about what to do or what to do next, we tend to look at it through the frame of 
paycheck, profit, revenue, customers, whatever. And I think it's the wrong frame. The more I work with this, I would say, pretend that part will take care of itself. If that part would, what would you do? Because nobody listening to this, you know, maybe you'd want to go drink margaritas on the beach for a week, but after the you know few days that gets old, what would you do if no matter what you did, the money would take care of itself? And that's a hard even assumption or hurdle for a lot of people to mentally get over, partially because of our culture and society. And we drill home, you know, how important that is in the American dream and all the this seven figure, eight figure stuff in the entrepreneur space. But I would say just trust me or, or another thought exercise, another way to approach it is if you did what you absolutely loved to do, someone would give you, you know, $100,000 a month uh, to do that. What would that be? And what would you do once a year, once a quarter, once a week, once a day? It's an exercise I call the perfect calendar. And the more I work with entrepreneurs and the more I do this, the more aligned they are with this. Because when you sit down with someone, and I love the work of Simon Sinek and all the stuff he's done with Start With Why and things like that. But why is a big question. What's your why, right? There's a reason why, uh, you know, when that, when that book came out and the speech and everything else, there's a reason why people didn't watch the TED Talk and then immediately run over and scribble down their why and say, oh, I got it. I nailed it. But what is easier to do is to get out a calendar and say, what do I want my calendar to look like? What do I want to do once a week? I want to, or, you know, three times a week, I want to go to the gym and work out or, which is the garage gym nowadays, right? Um, or once a year, I want to go on a two-week vacation to Europe. Write that down and say, what kind of meetings light you up? What kind of, What was your best day of work last year? What was your worst day of work last year? What was your best day outside of work last year? Take the time to write those things down because if you didn't, I call it designing your life. If you design the life that you want and the meetings that light you up and the types of things you want to do, because we're all different, if you design that, I guarantee, guarantee the money and everything else will take care of itself because you will be aligned and you will be operating in your particular zone of genius. So that's a lot of the work that I do now with entrepreneurs is just making sure that they're building the right thing that gives them the calendar. And the calendar is really just the innocuous way to say the life that you want. And this comes from someone who was at the largest consultant firm in the world and decide to say, screw it and go, mm -hmm. uh, you know, jump off of a cliff. So yeah. you can yeah. take that <laughs> advice for sure. And, you know, in a, a couple of weeks, there'll be another person uh, on the podcast, a, a mutual friend of ours that did the same thing. So, you know, you'll get to hear all about his story when he tells it. But, um, you know, when I met him, he was homeless with his wife because of a decision he made. And now he's living his best life doing what he loves to do. So, yeah, sure is. Uh, so the second to last question is what does being built unstoppable mean to you? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that phrase so much. And I remember, you know, you and your journey and what you're going through. Um, and, and so it's hard to hear that and not immediately just think of you and your, and your face and your story and your journey. But when I think of everybody else, and being built unstoppable, it's not about your deadlift. And it's not about even, even the past um, challenges that you've overcome to me. I mean, I think that that's incredible. You've obviously got an incredible story. 
Um, but to me, I think about being built unstoppable is it's almost as much a mindset as everything. I've studied a lot more. I think you have as well. You know, Ryan Holiday has sort of uh, brought stoicism from, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago to being more popular in the last few years. And I think having that uh, calmness, that stoicism, that ready for anything, built unstoppable starts in the mind before it starts in the bank account or this, the muscles and the shoulders. It starts in your mind knowing that no matter what happens, that you'll figure it out, right? Marie Forleo wrote a great book called Everything is Figureoutable. And whether you approach it from Marie Forleo or Stoicism or whatever, I think it starts with a mindset. And to me, Built Unstoppable is about this, this magical, magical place and mindset of no matter what happens. And 2020 has been throwing a curveball at everybody. Um, no matter what happens, that you will do what it takes to to figure it out. I think I think unstoppable starts in the in the mind for sure. That's awesome. And last but not least, where can people find you on the web? Yeah, they can come to clayabear.com or just Google me, Clay. Last name doesn't sound anything like it looks like. It's H E B E R T. It looks like Hebert, but uh, if you Google Clay. Hey Bear, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find online. Shoot me an email or, or uh, find me at clayabear.com. Very good. Well, Clay, thank you for coming on. It, it was kind of hard to make our schedules align over the past couple weeks, but I appreciate you and hope that everyone else will enjoy this podcast because uh, you have a lot to give people and uh, just a lot of smarts. Uh, thanks, Justin. It's so great to reconnect, and I can't wait for your book. I'll be the first one in line. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, and thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining another episode of Built Unstoppable. Please head over to builtunstoppable.com, where you can read new articles from Justin Levy. 